1: Welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. It's Liz Kelly. This week, we launched a new show on the network called the Ringer Fantasy Football Show. Coming from the guys who brought you the fantasy football podcast, Danny Heifetz, Danny Kelly, and Craig Korolbeck will guide you through the fantasy football season, providing analysis on big picture conversations like weekly matchups, trades,
0: and daily fantasy. The show will run every Monday and Wednesday throughout the rest of the summer, and will be helping you through the regular season as well. So, follow and listen to the first episode of the Ringer Fantasy
1: Football Podcast out now for free on Spotify.
0: Hello, friends, and welcome to this golf podcast. Unlike any other, oh, yeah. You have made it here. We're back. It is Fairway Rolling, the golf podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your starter, Joe House, on the line, as has been our tradition and custom since the restart of the PGA Tour. Our PGA Tour correspondent on the ground, Nathan Hubbard. Nate, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great. Jack got his revenge. Jack got his revenge. My goodness. We had modest success. We didn't have the 100% success we were hoping for out of the Flophouse boys. Very, very, very grateful to have Joel Damon and Max Homa and your brother, Homeless Hubs, Mark Hubbard, on the show last week. After all of them had not done very well at the Workday charity event, we hoped the podcast bump from last week's interview would lead to great heights for all three of those fellas last week. Joel and your brother both made the cut. Max missed it by a stroke right at the end. It was tough to take. But, you know, the, the we're still very, very uh, happy for for the Flophouse for, uh, boys on on balance, right? The donkey stable hung in there.
1: Uh, I actually think Mark was leading the tournament by two through 13 holes. That doesn't speak well to the way it finished, but, <laughs> but it was, uh, it was a good week.
0: Yeah. Let, let's go ahead and talk a little bit seriously about what they experienced, what the feedback that we were getting as the tournament was occurring, because the real winner of this past week's event was none other than Jack Nicholas. He set up a, a a a course with a particular point of view he had a, a a point he wanted to make to the tour and boy was he successful i mean the
1: the the 75.96 strokes average sunday was the highest at a non manger since the fourth round of the farmers insurance at tori in 2016 i mean i got a text from a player that said With my A game on my best day, I would not have broken par. And that's a good thing because we've had a lot of tournaments where the winner has been absolutely just pocketing birdies left and right since the restart. And Jack was pissed about it. He telegraphed on Friday on the telecast how he was feeling. He was pissed with the scoring. He's pissed with the distance and the records. He ran it about how he's been asking the USGA to deal with distance for 43 years and he begged them to stop studying and do something and then on Saturday and Sunday he just took matters into his own hands and he smirked through the entire weekend as guys struggled right it started with Bryson hitting that arrogant 3 wood and then the next one and then the next one out of the rough and letting Tiger make the cut and it came all the way down to Sunday where these guys were absolutely bleeding and, and you got a wonder house. Tiger has made more money at Jack's tournament than Jack has made his entire career. He's a legend. He's a gentleman. He's a philanthropist. And he's also still got some competitive bones in his body. You know, there's just something with him about the way players are carving up these courses that just feels disrespectful to him. And this was Jack putting everybody in
0: their goddamn place. It was extraordinarily delightful. And I think, you know, there are a couple, big picture sort of things that we can can bat about, you know, in, in the sense of Jack Nicklaus having a particular point of view and wanting to show the tour itself, but the sporting public at large that he's still, um, it, I mean, it's not that he needed to make a point about still being relevant, but the fact that, you know, the greatest golfer of all time, the kind of power that his intellect possesses, right? It's not like uh, he's not a, a power play. It's just his view of the game and his ability to convey that view through course setup. It was really a unique moment and very in- enjoyable. And the the contrast to me from an entertainment perspective, right? Because the, the tension that the, the tour and golf in general um, has been working through is... Professional golf as an entertainment vehicle, as a fun thing to watch on television, against measured against the you know um, competitive balance and and all of the technological advances in equipment and the ball, and you know can there be a healthy tension there? We had sort of an extreme dose over the first handful of events of distance, you know, run amok in the form of of Bryson. And then we had this beautiful, wonderful dose, and everybody observed that this golf course with the feel, with, with um, the particular way it was it was set up, and the field that we had that it had a major feel. and it was a reminder of how the majors play out. and it was in that respect, a wonderful uh, breath of fresh air at this early stage of, of, of the re-up. Do you agree with me? Uh, Jack's quote was the best. He said, I love these kind
1: of conditions because I know that most of the guys will not be patient. And he took us over the course of the telecast through every single hole and what the players are doing <laughs> that's disappointing him slash pissing him off, and what he's going to do with the new renovation to protect against that. And The discussion, as you've said, we've been talking about it on this pod for weeks is, Hey, is, is the home run ball good for golf? You know, Bryson took so much of the conversation in the first couple of weeks because he's hitting the crap out of the ball. And so that, that naturally moved us to the conversation of, Oh, geez, how do you protect against this? When the other guys start to pick it up, what are we going to do about 400 yard drives? And I feel like Jack was sitting there recovering from coronavirus with his arms crossed, smiling, just saying, wait till they get to Muirfield. And not even the first week, but the second week, I'm going to show them and I'm going to show them how you defend against this. And then I'm going to literally roll up the turf on them as the final group finishes each hole. I'm going to start digging up the course to make it even harder for you next year. And you know, Jack, there was a lot of golf god vibe through this through this whole weekend. The golf gods looked poorly on on some players for some of their behavior, and you know we all sort of knelt at the hand of of the golf god that is Jack Nicklaus.
0: It's such a great point, the golf gods writ large, because only the golf gods could deliver the 26 minutes of Bryson DeChambeau on the 15th hole on Friday. Having seemingly easily made the cut, he was only one over par at that point and on a hole that, that you know, is largely thought of as a, you know, plays under par hole, uh, should be a birdie hole for somebody of, of Bryson's acumen. And to have Jack Nicholas happen to be sitting as part of the broadcast for that extended run and all 26 minutes of Jack growing more and more incredulous. At the decision-making, you use the word arrogance. That is the word for the incredible bulk at this moment. And to have the entirety of the villain side of DeChambeau on full display in the face of the greatest golfer of all time at that golfer's own home venue, it was extraordinarily rich. And I thank the golf gods. I got worked up over that moment. Did and- you? I did because
1: I've been okay with Bryson building up this persona over these last couple of weeks, even with the talk about the brand and the protect, like I liked that he was making some noise and making some news because he was also delivering it on the golf course. And and it brings up really important conversations about how golf should be played going forward you said it, the arrogance of pulling the three wood there at all, much less three times on Jack's course. I mean, you're not going to do it out of the rough. And then the futile ruling argument that came with this self victimization claim that he always gets garbage rulings. I mean, like he was going to go splinter his wrists and blow up a wedge by hitting a ball under the iron fence, right? The ball would have gone 10 feet. But what got me was after all of that, Tim Tucker, his caddy, jumps in front of the camera to try to keep them from filming Bryson after he posts a 10. And I'll tell you what, Tim Tucker should have jumped in front of the goddamn three wood. Is he gonna jump in front of every fan with a camera phone when fans come back? It it isn't about the telecast. It's 2020. Everything you do is on the internet. And if you want to be the story, if you actively nurture a world in which you are the story, as Bryson has done then you are always the story. You're not capable of controlling it. You don't get to do it. That's what comes with being the story. You know, you want to throw a blanket over your moping about a couple of bad shots, you know, after giving press conference after press conference, then you post a 10 and you walk off the course without talking to anybody. Like that's going to make it go away. I mean, wait until they come after Bryson's personal life. I am not a nosy guy, but I know about Ricky's wife. I know that DJ is married to Paulina Gretzky and had substance abuse issues. We know about Jordan's wife. We know Sergio married Angela from the golf channel and Rory married a, you know, a woman who worked for the PGA tour after breaking off his engagement to the tennis player. I mean, we know we know Elon Woods broke the back of Tiger's Escalade with a nine-iron for crying out loud. And we know this not because we're nosy, but because it's brought to us on a silver platter by the media. And because each of these guys has been or continues to be the story. So if you're going to make Instagram videos of you working out and getting 200 plus mile an hour club head speed over and over and over again, or like posing in front of Bentleys when 20% of the U.S. is unemployed for crying out loud, then you better be ready to deal with what it means to be the story and to have everything you do post it on Instagram, not just your hype videos. I mean, everyone is the camera guy now. So be the golfer you want to be at all times, not just when you hit it 426 down the middle of the fairway.
0: Well, and it's not just golfer, it's it's public persona. For all of the reasons that you just went through, he hopefully is using this off week and and whether it's voluntary or involuntary to do a reset, to sit down in front of the mirror and and gather his team including his caddy and having a discussion amongst themselves either with the input of the tour or not to think about how they intend to hold themselves out going forward because there is you know this this real dissonance between the sort of golf component which is fascinating and the character component when he is in a good mood which is interesting and charismatic And on the other hand, all of this boorish behavior that is so petulant, it's all this only child bullshit behavior. And I don't know whether or not he has siblings, but he really behaves as though he's the only one on planet Earth in those instances. And, you know, it's very bizarre to have, you know, this kind of immaturity from out of somebody That has, you know, been in the public eye as a professional golfer for a long time. I mean, his success as an amateur, you know, when he won the USM um, a handful of years ago, he's been in the public eye for coming up on a decade now. Like what's so unusual or uncomfortable about the current moment that would produce this, this level of immaturity anyway, unanswerable questions at the moment um we'll see Bryson at the Memphis I think you know it's a WGC and Friday is the deadline for all the entries and then we'll see him at the PGA Championship and you know we'll we'll just see whether or not um he's taken uh, uh, any uh guidance from anyone but we can't go all this time and not talk about John Rahm, that's right who was so effing impressive in the face of a golf course and circumstances and conditions that took down everybody else. He was so extraordinarily good. He really was on path to shoot a 73. He did make birdie on 16 that was later adjusted, but he made that shot Uh, an incredible, you know, show of intestinal fortitude, all the fortitude in the lower half of the body. John Rahm showed it on, on 16, notwithstanding the imperceptible movement of the ball, um, and and the penalty, he is presently the number one ranked player in the world, according to the official world golf, uh, rankings. And it's largely attributable to sustained great play. Half the events that he's played in, in the 2019, 2020 season, he's finished in the top 10, um, so, you know, just sustained excellence uh and really this is his 10th win by far his most impressive win.
1: It was and we didn't really see it coming from the restart. Cut uh in at Colonial, you know, T33 in South Carolina, T37 in Connecticut and T27 last week, but You know, as he said, coming off the course on Saturday, today could have been one of the best rounds of golf I played in my life. And, you know, coming into Sunday, I think a lot of the guys behind him felt like with the wind coming up and the course in the condition that had Jack cackling the way that he was, that no lead was safe. And that front nine on Sunday, Rom really shut the door. That was him really putting everybody... In his wake, which allowed for a little looseness down the stretch on the back nine, uh, but but culminating in that in that shot on sixteen, where we got yet another super awkward cheer, <laughs> like jt from the week before uh, that just sort of hangs out in the air on the telecast with everybody being like, "Oh, this would be a lot cooler if fans were here."
0: It is, it is the cheer that we make our own selves when we were playing in our own little foursomes, or when something good goes well. I mean, it's 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 akin to the cheer, and I'll confess this: it might be like you know, uh, eleven thirty on a Thursday night, and I might have something riding on the outcome of the Milwaukee Bucks against the Indiana Pacers, and the, you know, the game goes to overtime, and then uh, miraculously, I hit an over. Uh, in point total. And boy, there's a cheer, an audible cheer, but it's just me. And yeah, it's probably a little awkward.
1: Well, you know, it's worth talking a little bit more about Rom because this is, I mean, the guy, first of all, the guy looks like a grown ass man, but he's only 25. I mean, he's younger than Bryson. He's younger than JT. He's younger than Spieth. Uh, I, I remember when he first came up on tour in that year, he was walking around the clubhouses and there's just, he's one of those guys. There's just something different about him. He looks different. He carries himself different. He swings it. Like you could just tell this was going to be a guy, if not the guy, he's the third fastest to reach number one behind only Jordan and Tiger. You know, as you said, he's won 10% of his starts he's, he's, he's only missed the cut 12% of the time, 50% of the time he's, he's top 10 So this is some pretty unprecedented stuff. And, and the way that he played this course, as you said, fourth, you know, off, off the tee, he was first tee to green. He was first around the green. You know, I mean, he just played this course incredibly well. Uh, and, and, you know, he did it the only question about John Rom that we still have coming out of this week is not: Is he going to win a bunch? Is he going to compete in majors? It's what's going on with his temperament, and is this a guy we're going to root for? We're going to be terrified of him in the Ryder Cup for years to come. But do we do we like him? Do we trust his temperament? I mean, that Club Slam on eleven with a you know 110 million shot lead, I liked it because it meant he was still in the round and he still cared, and clearly you know, at that point you think he's going to win. Maybe he's just upset with his performance. He's missing his goals, but I mean, we heard that this guy's working. His mental coach is a guy who diffuses bombs. I'm not sure I want John Rom diffusing the bomb for his house. I'm not sure he's got to be figured out how to cut the wires without trembling just yet.
0: Well, look, uh, I'm glad that you mentioned the, the 10% win rate, right? Because, uh, and this is a shout out to, to, uh, Nosferatu. Do you follow Nosferatu? It's at VC606. A terrific follow. All of the official world golf ranking monitors it on like a day-by-day basis. And he shared, you know, it is momentous that, that this uh, memorial event for Ram was the, his 100th official world golf ranking uh, sanctioned event in his career. So great time to go ahead and take stock of how he's performed through his first hundred. You mentioned the 10% win rate because he got his 10th win on Sunday. He also, in the, a, a, across these 100 events he's competed in, 24% have been top threes, 38% have been top fives, 50% have been top tens, and he's only missed the cut 12% of the time. Uh, and and Nosferatu points out only Tiger Woods is ahead of John Rahm in all of these categories at, at those particular success rates. I mean, that's incredible stuff. So when you say quite accurately that we wonder about his temperament, when you measure that temperament against the performance, sustained performance, number one in the world level performance, maybe it's, it's the fuel that, that that he feeds off of. And it's apparent, he's talked about it, that the psychology support that he's getting is how to make that fuel efficient fuel. Let that be fuel that produces continued success. Let that fire show up in a managed way where he goes ahead and, and uh, exhales in whatever uh, demonstrative way he needs to, like slam it at a golf club. And then he he clears his mind and he's ready to go on to the next uh, opportunity.
1: I think that's right. And one uh, shining spot, and he deserves a lot of credit for the way he handled the interview at the end of the round. Our friend Amanda Balionis asked the absolute right question. I thought she did a great job with that. And it was really fun to watch his eyebrows go up halfway up his forehead, but then have him really make some thoughtful comments about his own personal life, the way that he played, and to just handle that moment, uh, which which could have set him off if he really was the ticking time bomb, to handle that moment with grace, uh, and I think an understanding of the the moment. And, you know, he had, didn't just win Jack's tournament; he ascended to number one in the world uh, as fast as anybody else ever has, except for two people.
0: And you know, again on that question that Amanda asked the great way that she asked it and his response, it was such a unique moment um, because of all of the circumstances that produced him basically walking off the green to the interview with her without anybody from the tour or the rules officials intervening to brief him on potential rule violation. Um, And he showed you know, genuine surprise. It's what you just described. And it was like a really rare, unique live TV moment of of unique surprise, at least in in sport lately. And I I just really enjoyed that aspect of it. But he was very sincere and earnest, I thought, in how he responded to it. And he, you know, said exactly the right things um, spur of the moment there. So it showed me a kind of roundedness in terms of self-awareness and, you know, just a kind of maturity, to use that word again, that may be different from some lack of maturity we've seen out of other guys. And again, for for you mentioned it, 25 years old, so composed. So shouts to John Rahm. He is on my card, Nathan Hubbard, as one of the top five guys to, to win the PGA Championship in three weeks.
1: I, I think he has got to be in the mix. And... He also deserves a shout out for pushing forward an idea that's been circulating for a while. He walked off the course on Saturday and said he doesn't think four scratch club champions in a scramble could have broken par. Which I thought, like, what a great idea. Can, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> let's have those guys go around so that we, the, the viewer, can have that metric to sort of measure performance against?
0: Well, this is a a terrific idea and it does segue, you know, very nicely into one of the things I wanted to talk about with the upcoming 3M event in Minnesota, which is this new um, experiment um, that we've been seeing on the golf channel of a nine hole charity match between you know twosomes, I think it's Fleetwood, Casey, Will, Gordon, and Matthew Wolf. Right, that's pretty great. That's interesting. And the guys have been wearing mics and talking, um, and we get to hear. You know, they they're putting on a little bit of a show because you know the 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 match isn't terribly serious, and they're able to show a little personality. But great innovation. From I'm not who's sure who's responsible. Is it the tour that that's been championing this or golf? I don't know who, but, but kudos.
1: Yeah. And clearly is a little bit of a, of a innovation lab that they're using to try out some new concepts. And we've seen a few things bleed into the telecast last week. I mean, I got to give CBS credit. Ryan Palmer kept backing off his shot and looking up at the drone. And that's exactly what I want. I want such crazy inventive camera angles that the players are like, what the hell? Like, I gotta take a step. Like, yes, please get up inside them. Let's go too far to that spectrum and have the players bring us back. So I love seeing Ryan Palmer back off from that. And 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 I can tell, you can tell that they're they're trying out some of these things on these nine-hole c- contests. The other thing that we got last week. Uh, that that has started to come out of the experimentation that's being done is we got the right behind the ball before it gets chipped onto the green camera angle. And that gave us the questionable ball movement stuff from Ram on 16, which by the way, also happened with Tony Finau on Saturday. So explain to me rule 9.4 and how it works. I don't know, but it, it has pushed... Uh, CBS to start thinking, and not just CBS, but but all of the you know telecasters to start thinking about how they get more innovative in the coverage. What does it feel like to really mic, mic these guys up? How do we bring out the personality and the fun of golf while also maybe educating you on how the game is played? So I, I think it's great what they're doing. And I, I just want to see some of those innovations get pulled forward into the telecast as fast as they can.
0: Yeah. I mean, the scratch scramble is effing brilliant. I don't know what day of the week. I mean, we can easily, um, make the bubble accommodate for scratch golfers, maybe even like in the local vent, you know, wherever they're, they're going, make it get a the, contest for charity. I'm with you. Exactly. A hundred percent. That's right. And, and just, you know, have cameras on, on a portion of it. I, I know that the logistics are probably not um, you know, super easy, but may, I don't know, send them off first on a Saturday or sending them off. La- I, you know, some point lunch, I don't know exactly how to make the logistics work. I mean, the,
1: it, get them off at 7 a.m. They can go around the course and then you got a graphic every time a player comes through that says, oh, by the way, he just eagled this and the, and the club champs, you know, struggle to make birdie. I mean, it just, yeah. it would be a fun point of comparison. The only thing that's close to it is at the masters when they have a single, they make him play with
0: a marker, Jeff Knox, and, the famous and, Jeff Knox,
1: right? And everybody cheers the marker, and it's fun to, to to root for. It's the same thing. Let's just see how average schlubs like me might get around the course.
0: I well, scratch golfers are not average schlubs like us. I mean, I'm going to include me with you. I you know I wonder if if they could do it like Monday. Anyway, I don't want to uh, belabor the scratch scramble, but it is in in entirely in concert with the kind of innovation that we are talking about and and kind of enjoying as, as the golf channel and CBS and and, and NBC all sort of get along the way here.
1: Well, and as you say, it's also a way to introduce us to some new guys that we don't normally see. I mean, if we're being honest about this week in Minnesota, it's kind of the first who cares week on the PGA tour. We get to catch our breath a little bit before we ramp up for a ton of huge tournaments in August and September. You know, the drama this week is really like which one of the Kepka brothers is better at golf. But you look at the featured groups and they're doing some of the things that our buddy Max Homa talked about last week, which is, hey, let's take some good players and find a way to interject some of the middle part of the tour to give some exposure to them. Now they're doing that out of necessity because it's a, it's a super bottom heavy field this week. But yeah, you know, we got DJ, Tommy Fleetwood and Tony Finau in one group. Okay, that makes sense. We got defending champ Matthew Wolf. And our boy, Max Homa, along with Brandon Grace in another group, right? That's good. Yeah, it's great. Uh, Bubba Watson, Paul Casey, Pat Perez, and another group. Pat Perez is like the Guy Fieri of golf. Like the guy's <laughs> a complete lunatic. That's the group that I'm going to be watching. But then we got Brooks Kepka, Keith Mitchell, and, and, and Charles Howell, which seems like a missed opportunity to put Chase Kepka in with Brooks and, you know, have a Fredo moment and just see which one, which one is better. But uh, but these are these are interesting opportunities for the tour to try some things out and start seeing whether they can, you know, make the story more than just who's the biggest guy playing the tournament this week. Because this week, if we're being honest, it's a wide open field outside of basically DJ Fleetwood, Kepka, FINA.
0: right. and And you know, the stated goal of this uh, tournament last year, was to let guys come in and score like they definitely you know favored the version of uh, professional golf as entertainment that sort of depends on um, birdies and eagles, and they were rewarded for that setup because the drama of the tournament last year came from Bryson DeChambeau eagling the 18th hole and then going and standing up, you know, entering his score and standing and watching the remaining groups come in and Bryson standing and watching Matthew Wolf arrive on that 18th hole and make his own Eagle, which was the only way for Matthew Wolf to win the tournament and, and prevent uh, DeChambeau prevent a playoff with, with DeChambeau. So great job. And, and the winning score was 21 under par. So I think we're back. We're going to have that return of, you know, birdie fest, eagle fest kind of, of golf, but with, you know, uh, guys that are, aren't necessarily in the limelight, uh, on the regular, as you just observed. So it gives a chance for some young guys, some young names, maybe some European names, um, to, to, to jump up. There is one guy in particular, you know, the, the early news, and this will be, um, all the way through, uh, into Thursday, Eric van Royen went to the University of, of Minnesota. He married a Minnesota girl. He's staying with his Minnesota in-laws. And we mentioned him um, a little while ago. I think it was a couple of weeks ago when Jason Sobel was on, right? I brought him up.
1: You know, he's, I mean, look, with this course, it's definitely a bomber's course. He's also just in the only short period of time we've seen him. He's 22nd in shots gained T to green. And so 22nd, you go, okay. But when you when you take out the guys in front of him who aren't playing this week, He's He's got a real chance to do something this week.
0: Well, and he's available right now at 45 to one. If you're interested in allocating a little capital, he has played this venue a bazillion times. He's extraordinarily comfortable on it. I don't know which way that that cuts. Speaking of cuts, he's played in seven tournaments since the start of, of calendar year 2020. And what he does is he either misses the cut or he finishes inside the top 25 he uh, has missed the cut four times and finished inside the top twenty-five, actually twenty-second or better in the other three starts. We, we you would expect him to be comfortable at this venue and 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 to play well. One of the fun storylines uh, coming into this week in Minnesota. Um, also, want to mention the fact that uh, I think it's a sponsor's exemption exemption for Sahith Tagala. He's playing in this event, super heralded amateur, you know, Ben Hogan award winner, Jack Nicklaus award winner, uh, was ranked as high as third in the world as an amateur. We got to see him in Connecticut,
1: you know, was disappointed. We didn't get to see him, uh, last week, but, but I'm
0: excited to see him come out and have, you know, have at this course. I, I'm with you. Okay. So I, I just mentioned a couple names, couple, uh, items of interest sort of, sort of off the the big page. Let's talk about the big page for a second. Yeah. Yeah. Dustin Johnson had a week kind of like our boy Joel Damon the week before. <laughs> where uh, it, I, I'm not sure what the the numbers are for, for DJ and the worst pro- professional performance he's ever had, but this had to rival it. Back-to-back 80s is not what you're shooting for. But I have to tell you, that
1: course was set up in a way that I, I just don't put a whole lot of stock into guys who flamed out at the beginning part of the week. I I think for some people, if they didn't have the mental acuity to hang in there or they, they got, you know, I mean, Bryson was playing pretty well before he had the 10.
0: Yep. Yeah. And he was on 15 on Friday, like, you know, easily going to make the cut. No issue.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, so that was a course that, that just compounded mistakes. And, uh, I think we're going to see bounce back from DJ this week.
0: Okay. I like that. I, I mean, Damon said on the pod last week that what you what you do when you have back to back rounds in the 80s like that, you just, you know, hit eject and it goes out of your head. And Damon proved it. He hung in, he made the cut on the number and, you know, um collected a little check for, from this past week. I, I think for me on the you know, the big guys on the board this week house
1: there's two guys playing this tournament who it's time to see something from. Okay. And, And for me, that is, and we should talk about each of them a a little bit. I mean, for me, that's Tony Finau and it's Tommy Fleetwood. And these are two guys who you could argue have underperformed pretty significantly relative to what they're capable of uh, and and their potential. This is a week in which uh, there's not really an excuse for one of the big names to not come in and clean this tournament up. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood, we know shot 64 at Shinnecock Hills this week. That card looked nice. He's, he's playing great golf. Uh, He finished third at the Honda before the, before the, the break it's time. I mean, this is the 12th ranked player in the world. We should probably have a conversation about the official world golf rankings because how Tommy Fleetwood is ranked ahead of Colin Morikawa right now. uh, I don't know, but, um, but, you know, he, he, he hadn't won since a diluted European tour event in 2019. He had a lot of almost in 2019. I mean, he was solo second at the open, a bunch of top fives in higher profile events, but it's time for Tommy Fleetwood to step in and win a tournament so that he's not just the guy with the hair who's hanging around contention, but doesn't quite get it done.
0: I like that. I mean, it would be nice for Fleetwood to start collecting some of these um regular PGA Tour events to start burnishing his credentials, to start building out the resume a little bit. We've seen him, you know, sort of incandescent um in in majors, right? He's he's right there nudging the leader, pushing the leaders. What he did at Shinnecock's to speak of, you know, in 2000 and 17, 2016, whenever the, the, you know, they were just just there a c- couple years ago, you know, to, to really hold Brooks Kepka's feet to the fire, he threw up an, an incredible number and had a birdie putt on 18 to get himself um, all the way to, to w- one over and just blipped out. I mean, Fleetwood uh, has shown us extraordinary skill under the most challenging condition so he needs to start doing what what you're you're saying let's just you know see some excellence on a consistent basis in you know where, where the pressure is is slightly different to show us sort of that that well-roundedness the guy that I'm interested in is kepka you know I I'm now legitimately concerned about his his um physical well-being you should be so in a post round interview last week, he acknowledged that he'd had an MRI on his left knee at the beginning of the week. And the person doing the interviewing, like took a half beat, and was like, oh, what? And then had to ask the follow up. You know, you you did like, you know, wh- why? And, you know, there was a, a handful of of. Uh, Q and a around the the status. And what Brooks said was he wanted to make sure that there wasn't any, um, issue in there that it was like a period. He tried to characterize it. It felt like, like, you know, a periodic kind of check-in and evaluation to ensure that nothing had diminished since the surgery, um, at the end of last year. But it doesn't seem like you go get an MRI for, for a periodic check-in, right? No. And, and the key phrase out of that
1: interview was, there hasn't been any improvement. And I don't see that as Brooks making excuses, but that's the first time that he's put some information out there proactively about his performance. We have been alluding to this for weeks now here on fairway rolling, but he's 154th in the FedEx cup. He's 82 points out of making the top 125, which you have to do over the next four events in order to play for the FedEx Cup and the 15 million bucks which we know he cares about 82 points is like a T8 uh and so he's got a lot of work to do over these next couple of weeks i think honestly that's the only reason he's in the field this week is he's got this week he's got next week in memphis which he's already you know committed to and and he's he's defending there uh and and then he's got the PGA and, and, and if he has to go to, to Greensboro to, to play the, the tournament the last week, maybe he does it. But if the knee isn't better, you got to wonder if it might be better for Brooks, if he just isn't going to make the play just to shut it down and play for the PGA play for the U S open.
0: Well, he clearly is in, not, is not in sufficient discomfort. And I were taping this on Tuesday before the start of the Thursday round. And so it's possible that he withdraws between now and and Thursday. But he has not experienced sufficient discomfort to um, dissuade him from pushing forward with a third consecutive week of playing. That's what this will be. And as you just mentioned, he's already lined up to play the WGC event in Memphis next week and then the PGA the following week. That's five straight events in a row. It feels like he's pressing. It feels like he's pressing. If it's a bulky knee... You know, I don't know which way that cuts. I mean, that's exactly right. It's, you don't know how much of it is physical, some, some is some aspect of it psychological. He's feeling pressure. I, I, I don't know, but I, I guess I personally, I want to see him play this week. I want the knee trouble to be in the rearview mirror for a little bit, give him a break. I hope he plays great. Hope he gets a top 10 starts, you know, get, gets enough points to jump in inside that 125. The, he has the option of playing Memphis or not, although I, he, he's, he's going to play it because he's the defending champion. So I guess the, the, he he wouldn't withdraw from that.
1: No, the curve of every g- great golfer house, you know, has highs and lows. And this is a guy who, when he won the U.S. Open, I mean, they knew so little about him that, you know, they, they screwed up the name of his girlfriend, Right when he won for the first time and and he came out and just crushed four majors and he seemed kind of invincible. This feels like part of that path that we've had with a lot of our favorites who go through the highs and the lows. DJ has gone through it. Spieth is in the middle of it. Tiger's gone, you know, where we get to know a little bit more about their character and, and where they get sort of stronger and better cause they've got to deal with this adversity. This is a guy who didn't have a whole lot of adversity for a couple of years on tour. He was just the man. And so I don't mind seeing, I listen, I don't wish anything bad on him, but I'm excited from a narrative standpoint to see how this makes him a better golfer, assuming that, you know, we've got a physical health uh, situation that is solvable for him.
0: Well, speaking of physical health and narratives and adversity, we've somehow gone 43 minutes in this podcast, Nathan Hubbard, (laughs) without talking about His Highness, Eldrick El Tigre Woods, Tiger Tiger Woods, y'all. It is now time for This Week in Tiger Woods. Tiger! Tiger! Tiger Woods! (laughs) Okay. So we were convened about this time a week ago, me and you, and we were kind of running through our hopes and expectations for, for Tiger Woods. And now we have four rounds in our back pocket. Well, give me, give me a score, a one to 10. What, what score are you giving Tiger for this past week? I'm happy
1: with what came out of it. Friday night's press conference scared the crap out of me because You had a bunch of guys standing around him trying to get him to snap about the state of his back. And they kept asking him the same question over and over again, which was basically like, Tiger, this really sucks. You must really be upset, huh? Your back really hurts. And they they asked him about the aging process. And he said, you know, I used to look forward to it. And now it's just really hard. I'm just trying to go day by day and and manage my life going forward. He was more resigned to it. And he told us in so many words, boy, I really hope you appreciate what I did in Augusta last year, because it's going to be hard for me to string four rounds together. That said, House, he was fifth in shots gained approach this week. Yes. That's a great sign. A lot of the mess was around the greens, which is something that, He's going to be able to clean up. And again, I think the course was really brutal. It was his first test back. Like, let's cut him some slack on that one. I don't put a whole lot of stock in the, uh, he was driving carts instead of walking, right? It's that he's a 45-year-old man and his back doesn't work very well. So we just have to hope that the adrenaline and... The good golf gods, because he definitely worships in the house of Nicholas, are going to take care of his back in those moments when he's really in contention. As far as a test goes and a warm-up, I I give this week like an 8 out of 10. It's about what we expected. He made the cut. Uh, That's what we thought. He's striking the ball pretty well. He's got a couple weeks to clean things up before the PGA, FedEx, and the U.S. Open. Let's go.
0: Okay. I like it. I like the glass half full. I'll go right along with your eight out of 10. He met expectations, right? We said here a week ago that he, we anticipate him being rusty. Well, he was rusty. He said, uh, in, in post round interviews that he's been putting, um, down in Florida on Bermuda and he came up here and, and, you know, with, 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 with greens that have very little break in them down in Florida And all of a sudden he's playing 10 foot, 12 foot break. Um, The rough that he encountered at at Memorial isn't like anything that he's been playing out of. And we said he need reps. Like the guys are too good right now. Um, The the guys that have been playing in these restart events have, you know, all all gotten in the reps that they need to, to be, you know, capable and competent um, at this stage. And this is just tiger getting four rounds. And every time, that he plays in an event. The goal, the stated goal is to make sure that he gets the four rounds in because he needs the, the, the reps at this stage of, of golf e- existence. And he, you know, showed us the ability to shoot under par. He shot under par twice at this venue to go along with this pair of 76s. But the 76 that he shot on Sunday was the, the average, I mean, you mentioned it, 75.96 was the average score on Sunday. So Tiger was, if you think about it that way, he was right there with his peers on Sunday and he shot under par two previous days. So, you know, I, I as far as I'm concerned, everything you could have hoped for uh, out of the Tiger Woods. I was happy. So the question is, what do we think he's going to do between now and the PGA championship? He got really cute with his answers
1: about that. You know, he wouldn't say competitive reps. He just needed reps. So I, I, I might be surprised if we see him in Memphis. You know, you think about him, he's going to have to fly to Memphis. It keeps him out of his home for two weeks because then he's got to go to San Francisco. It's a trip across the country for him from Florida. So I, I think I'm going to be surprised if we see him there.
0: Yeah, it breaks my heart for our our homie, uh, Chris Vernon, the Ringer's own Chris Vernon, Memphis native, who I know uh, will be rooting hard um, in Memphis for the great field that that will uh, come together there. And he really they haven't had Tiger yet, Um, but uh, I'm with you. I don't think he's going to play Memphis. I think he's going to go. He, and, and I don't know, you know, in terms of what he just experienced at Memorial, which is a radically different golf course than what he's been practicing on. I'm sure he has a point of view on what to expect at at, at uh, TPC Harding Park. And, you know, that that he's going to attempt to replicate conditions that he will encounter there, including possibly flying out early. Like there's nothing if he doesn't play in Memphis, there's nothing keeping him. From flying out the previous Thursday and getting acclimated to the West Coast and getting the rounds in and just you know using the time we we know with with Tiger he doesn't want to over practice but like when's the last time that he's played this this particular venue it, it's got to been been a number of years
1: yeah I think that's right if you're Tiger I think you're sitting there going I go to top ten this week if not for my back on Friday is it the competitive reps that I need. Or is it the rest and the work on a few things that I saw out there to get ready for the PGA? My sense is he's going to choose to do the latter.
0: I, I I'm I'm with you on it. Um, let's give out a pick and then let's 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 call it a wrap uh, for, for this week on on Fairway Rolling. Uh, is there anybody jumping off the page at you crossed, you know the 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 various skill sets and so forth? Name give a name and a number uh, for who's going to win this week. I need to see something out of Tony Finau this week.
1: You know, he's got one top 20 since he, since he got run down in Phoenix by Webb Simpson. You know, this week, you know, okay, we had some tough conditions, but he's really got to show us something now. The spotlight is going to start to burn pretty hot on Tony Finau. He should have won more than once on tour. He's got the most top 10s without a win in the last couple of years, period. So I want to see Tony Finau come out and win this tournament. I think it's going to be a 21, 22 under type week. It looks like we're going to get some rain. And so the little tweaks that they made to the golf course last year to try to toughen it up a little bit and make it less of a champions tour track and more of a PGA tour track, you know, they may not take effect if we get the afternoon thunderstorms that come out of the Midwest, but I want to see if Tony Finau is the golfer that we all want him to be because he's such a good guy and he's so exciting.
0: And I will say this one thing that we have observed when he gets on a roll, he can stay hot. You know, it's it's a he starts hot and stays hot. He'll he'll, he'll knock it down for like four or five events. Um, And so maybe if the memorial something clicked there and, you know, if if he can get over the collapse on Sunday, if he's already put that in the rearview mirror um, and has the good feeling. We saw him uh, swing speed wise get to 206 miles an hour uh, on social media last week. So we know that he's in perfectly fine physical condition. Yeah. Uh, there isn't a, the only thing that could stop him is, is the six inches between the ears. Um, I'm just going to be a sap with my pick. I'm going to take Eric van Roy we laid out the, 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 case for him. Um, it, it, it feels like this is a, uh, an event as demonstrated from last year where, you know, an opportunity for the field to to come up. And I'm a sucker for a good story. I like Van Roy's story. He's available between 45 to 1 and 55 to 1 right now um, as a winner. That's, you know, that's worth a, a, a little dash of something. And I think he's going to shoot like uh, 22 under.
1: I think if you're looking for some value down ticket, the fairway rolling has been behind Lucas Glover uh, since the restart. He's made every cut. He's been finishing in the 20s. You know, if, if you got to fill out your DFS roster, Lucas Glover's been playing great. Sam Burns, 10th in driving distance. You know, he's got a T24, T30, T17 in his last three starts. He's been playing really great golf. And I think Carlos Ortiz is a guy. He played Saturday. Ex, it, it, he had a great round on Saturday at the Memorial. He's 38th in the FedEx Cup. He top 10 tier last year. He's a guy who might uh, be worth filling out the bottom of your fantasy roster with.
0: I like it. Those are some good names. I'm looking also at uh Charlie Hoffman who has been, you know, putting some some quality golf together uh since the uh, restart. He finished tied for 41st at the Travelers um and and uh tied for 7th at the Workday. But what's happening is he's having one bad round. He's shooting, you know, some some very decent scores um, and then one one round is 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 holding him back so uh, a venue like this is feels like a kind of Charlie Hoffman special kind of uh joint and that that that's my down ticket guy for this week Nathan Hubbard we shall be uh, talking about the results of this event in Minnesota in a week's time and uh, we'll also be visiting Memphis uh, Tennessee in the upcoming WGC event event there hopefully with our local Memphis Homie chris vernon on the line to join us uh that's it for this week my birdie buddies we shall be back again in the meantime everyone please hit them straight out there